Hello everybody and welcome to our sport and business leadership webinar. I hope you're well on this Wednesday, wherever in the world we may find you. Now we've got a terrific panel assembled for the next hour. Time to introduce you to some of our panelists. Uh, Martina McCarthy is with us as well, Performance Director at Pentathlon Ireland and Sport Ireland Institute, uh, a sprinter uh, who uh, competed in the 2000 Summer Olympic Games on the track. Uh, so Martina, hello to you. Thank you very much for being with us. Do you still sprint or is it uh, more office based now like so many of us? Just to get into work on time these days is the only sprinting I do at the moment. Yeah, well, look, thank you very much, all, all four of you, for being with us this afternoon. And we're going to have a, a good discussion around, I think, your leadership styles, the way you use data in your roles, and a bit about your sports and, uh, and what you get up to, if that's all right. So a bit about what you do and why you do it. And now we've got uh, a little bit of research that we've done to uh, start things off. And uh, scary graphics, perhaps, but I think we can uh, run through just a little bit of the detail that's come up from uh, some of the research that's been done. We've asked uh, a series of questions of business leaders and decision makers, so executives and management level uh, de decision makers and business leaders. And uh, some interesting uh, results have come up from that. Uh, and I'll just uh, run you through a couple of the headlines. That, for instance, 40% of organizations are relying on gut instinct, which uh, is an interesting one. And a couple of other things, an increase in the use of analytics uh, since the global pandemic began uh, of 33%. So uh, obviously the pandemic's created a fair bit of uncertainty and uh, everyone turning to uh, data analytics, well not everyone, 33% of people turning to uh, data analytics as, as a potential solution. I'm really interested in data analytics uh, as opposed to gut instinct. Uh, Martina, when you're working with athletes, do you encourage the use of data or do you encourage the use of gut instinct? Because I imagine you could get into a situation where it would become I think paralysis by analysis uh, is one of the expressions that goes around. And you want the athlete to relax enough and go with their gut feel, but at the same time, it's got to be an informed decision. So it must have got a tricky balance to make. I think there is a, a balance and it also does depend on the personality type of, of your athlete. Um, if you have someone who's already quite anxious and you overload them with data, it does not help when what you're trying to get is a flow state, a good connection, a feeling and awareness of the body. And someone who looks for external cues all the time can sometimes miss what their own body is telling them or what you're trying to prepare them for. But that also works as a really good educational tool to explain why you're undertaking training, why you're picking a certain route, why you're uh, maybe performing certain exercises in the gym. So once they can see from the data why it is they're doing things, they also will buy into the training program. So it does offer a clarity, but you also still want to develop that human element of performance and that athlete's self-awareness and emotional connection to what they're doing. So there is there's a balance of both, but data definitely does help you inform what it is you're trying to do. So it's going back to knowing the personalities and, and knowing your athletes well enough as to what they want. Um, it's interesting if you talk about uh, Myers-Briggs type indicator or any of these uh, personality profiling, I suppose that might give you a clue as to what they what they would like and, uh, and what information they need at yeah. any time. Yeah, very much so. Like we, we were on a camp um, about a year ago in the most beautiful place at altitude in the mountains. And we had an athlete who literally looked at their watch every 10, 15 seconds to get feedback on contact time speeds. And I just turned around and said, look at the environment you're in, 
look where we're at. This is not about, at this moment in time, knowing the exact feedback of everything you're doing. Put, take your watch off and actually be in the environment, become engaged in where you are, and we'll think about the data later. But it's just, again, separating for the athlete um, that, that feeling and awareness of the connection to what they're doing. We'll talk a little bit more about the impact in, in a few minutes' time. So uh, a couple of the headlines there, 40% of organisations relying uh, still on gut instinct and a 33% of uh, analytics increase, if you like. There's a, a net increase since the pandemic has begun, which perhaps isn't a massive surprise. And uh, if we move on to the next slide as well, you've got uh, a couple more graphics here that we can have a little look through. I mean, clearly... Uh, and I'm feeling it right now. I think we're all feeling it regularly. Uh, those of us who are working from home, that must have changed leadership styles for all of us. Um, Martina, perhaps uh, I know you're currently, I think, in the office, aren't you? But uh, a lot of the yeah. people, your, your stakeholders, um, have to be out at home, and you're managing them remotely, ma managing virtually. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you're finding that. I think initially there's, there's the initial phase of everyone just have to um, get used to working at home and then understanding the de demands that people have when they're at home versus in the office. Like, as you said yourself, children, dogs, family, who's around, what their time constraints are. So it is, again, understanding from each person's perspective what their new environment looks like. And a, a lot of that is around communicating with them, spending the time to get to know what's happening with them at home and what, what they can help deliver for you. And, I think my leadership style, I, like, I see myself as a coach. I'm, I'm first and foremost a coach. I'm, I'm involved in sport all my life and my aim is to help people be better and to unlock potential. So again, you just look at the constraints and the environments that people have at home and how they work and then form your plan around that. And I think for us, we, we had a lot of our um, systems and platforms and how we utilize our data set in place. So that really did help that we still have access to the same platforms, a lot of the same data, a lot of the same analytics. It's just from a different location. What has changed for us, obviously, is our face-to-face -face coaching with athletes. We weren't able to deliver in, in the same way. So we had to come up with either virtual methods or, or change in terms of communication on, on how we deliver those sessions to athletes. And again, there was different um, different athletes wanted different ways of doing that whether that be through zoom through teams through whatever methods of communication so again it was figuring out what it is that best helped people do the jobs they needed to do from from this new environment which you make sound very straightforward but it's very time-consuming and energy-consuming what you just described isn't it you have to consider so many factors to make sure it's tailor-made your, your communication and leadership style for individual athletes I think the, the advantage of being in a sporting environment is you spend a lot of time together. Um, you're in a very, very tight knit um, environment. So you really do know the people you work with and that helps then when situations change or you end up in different circumstances, those initial relationships or the relationships you have, you're then able to just move them into a, a different context. But it is, I think the sporting environment is a, a very close knit. You spend a huge amount of time together and so you very much do get to know who you work with. Uh, Martina first, it could be the differentiator, couldn't it? Come Tokyo 2021, as it may be, who's dealt best with this bizarre set of circumstances that we've all faced? So nation to nation in your case, uh, club to club maybe, um, if you've got a well-organized routine in place and you've managed to sort of maximize this as an opportunity rather than as a huge disadvantage, it, it could make the difference in gold and silver or, uh, 
you know, a try or not, or whatever it might be in your, in your own world, Martina? I think hugely, and as I said off, off camera before we started, what this, what COVID has afforded us is the is, is time, and time is so precious in high performance sport. And we looked at it as the opportunity of, we've been given an extra year to prepare. We've been given time to reflect on our program, to see exactly where we are. We have no competitions over the space of eight to 10 months, which is unheard of in sports, because normally we would be competing every six to eight weeks. So we now have this block of time. How best can we use it? Where are our gaps? How can we plan around this? For our younger athletes, it was very much framed as you now have another year to develop your physical qualities, your technical qualities, your tactical qualities, you will be once a year better of an athlete. For our, our, our more older athletes who may have been thinking about retirement, we had to work a little bit harder to reframe how they thought about this extra year. And um, again, just picking one or two key areas that we could highlight. Look, you have an opportunity to improve. This is where your standing is versus your competitors. This is what your training data has shown. And we were able to put together very, very clear plans that we were all agreed on and were committed to over the last couple of months. And what we found is, in some of our key sports, we've had significant improvements in physiological testing and PPEs over three kilometers and five kilometers. And it's been a testament to how they've applied themselves through this time, but also understanding we could go after certain qualities that we wouldn't normally um, get the opportunity to do. So we really did reframe it as in, in the most horrendous pandemic that was going worldwide, we were going to take opportunities from it and really, really engage in areas we wouldn't normally get the time to do. And Martina, um, same question for you, really, a, a leadership style, because again, you've made the transition from, and I'm always interested in this, with, particularly with individual athletes. So a sprinter, I know you were in a relay team uh, back in the day, but fundamentally a sprinter is a, a solo occupation. You're on your own and you have to be, a, and forgive me for saying this, quite selfish and quite focused on your own performance. Uh, well, you do, don't you? To make it at the level you did, you have to be very, very focused on your own game. And then suddenly you're in a world where you're leading a group and you have to be selfless rather than selfish. And you have to try and um, make sure that other people are enjoying success. And that's not always an easy transition for athletes to make, I don't think. Um, how have you found that transition as a leader? I think actually my experience in sevens rugby really helped me in a number of ways. As you said, when you're an individual athlete, you can call it a selfish endeavor, but you also have a lot more autonomy over what you do. In some ways, you select your team, you select the coach you want to work with, you select your nutritionist, your psychologist, et cetera, et cetera. And if you're not happy with that situation, you can change it. The big learning for me when I moved to a team sport is I now worked for that team or for that coach. And if, if I wanted to be part of the, the national sevens team, if I didn't like the coach or I wasn't in agreement with the coach, I didn't just get to change the coach. That wasn't my, I now worked for an organization as opposed to the other way around. So there was a big learning for me of moving from an environment of almost complete autonomy to then being part of a team and understanding the culture of that team, the relationships within that team. And I felt for myself, I lost a little bit of my freedom and creativity. So when I became, uh, as part of my role or as, as part of my leadership role, I like to afford freedom to the people I work with. Um, within the confines of the constraints of the plan, the overall plan we have. But I love watching people innovate, be creative, feel that they have a real purpose in the roles, but they are contributing to the overall overall goal of the plan. Um, I like agitators and disruptors who feel that they can challenge decisions, but then will 
come to an agreement and move forward as one when we do make that final decision. So there's there's a democracy almost, or there's a, a coaching element, but um, in the understanding that when we have agreed a plan that we can move forward together. But I think moving from that individual to team environment taught me a lot about what I felt I either gained from being in that team environment, but I also felt I lost as an individual athlete. I try and bring those learnings and experience to my role as, as a leader within this organization. And just to touch on something Pat said as well about those relationships with people, with the lead athletes, you see them at their highest high and their lowest lows, and you see them at their most vulnerable moments in time. And that takes a lot of trust. And, and that's, you really do get to know a person at, at the most basic level of, of how they operate. And that's, like, that's a privilege as a human being to work with those people who will allow you to see that level of vulnerability. And it's, it's, it's on us to, to work with that trust and, and to always have the athlete's interest at heart above your own because they are literally affording you their dreams, their hopes, their ambitions at its, at its most basic human level of trying to perform at the peak of their performance. And for that to work, so many variables have to come together. And you, you're almost you're helping facilitate something for that athlete. Um, and that's, that's a huge honor and it's a huge privilege, but you have to be very, very mindful that you're helping them deliver something that yes, it helps you, but you're, you're involved in the work of just getting people better and, and doing whatever it takes to, to facilitate that. Martina, just a quick one. I'm trying to get through as many of the questions that come in on Slider. And thank you very much to everybody who's uh, pinging those in. Um, here's one. What do you see as the biggest opportunity to use data analytics to improve the performance of a team so it's quite a general uh, broad question but not a bad one with uh, three minutes remaining of our discussion uh, to go for so is there any single standout point um, where you see an opportunity or a gain from uh, the use of data analytics within a team i think one of the biggest teams that are one of the biggest areas that people always want is you want your players available so prevention of injury or reduction of injury issues are hugely important because you want to be able to pick your best 15 on any given weekend. And as Pat said, how do you use their metrics in terms of um, recognizing uh, red flags potentially around injuries, having profile the players, profile the injuries, collecting those metrics every day, gives you the opportunity to have your players healthy and um, ability to train more, that consistency of approach. So um, for me, the, 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 uh, that is a huge benefiting factor for, for the collective team is actually having those people available by using those metrics to ensure that your, your injury rate is as low as possible within the team. Well, look, thank you very much, uh, all four of our panelists, uh, Charles Senabulia from SAS and Martina McCarthy and Nick Scott and Pat Lamb as well. If we were in normal times, we'd be on a stage and there'd be uh, whooping and hollering and uh, huge rounds of applause and the shout of more, 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 uh, but not today. Uh, so just imagine that. And thank you very much. Really appreciate your time and your fascinating insights into your lives and your leadership and your coaching and your use of data analytics. So uh, thank you very much for your time and good luck with all your various projects over the next 12 months. I wish you all the very best. Uh, for all of those that you're undertaking. Thank you very much for your company this afternoon. We've got more information on sas.com. So if you want to find out more, then sas.com is the place to head. I hope you have a really good day and thanks very much for your participation.